Hey, teacher friend, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast, a podcast for teachers by teachers. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson, and each week I bring you a podcast full of practical and helpful ideas from teachers. We all know that teaching is really hard work, and I want this podcast to be a place for you to not only find ideas, but to also find encouragement and motivation. Y'all, I am so excited to share today's episode with y'all. Happy Tuesday and welcome to another episode of Simply Teach. You likely already saw on the title that today we have Bridget on from the Lettered Classroom. She was one of the most requested podcast guests when you completed the survey earlier this year. Her and Michelle were actually requested a lot. Michelle was on episode 10, so you can go back and check out that episode. With the stress of time differences from living in Germany and now coronavirus, I decided to just really draw back on the amount of interview podcasts I'm doing this season because it usually means I'm interviewing somewhere, someone between the time of somewhere in the range of 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. And I do not do anything well past 4.30 p.m., so interviews are a little bit on hold until we move back. But guys, I got one of the very best for the interview that I'm doing this season. Bridget is a multi-age teacher in Pennsylvania. You'll hear her talk about it throughout the episode, but essentially she teaches students that are in grades four, five, and six, all in one class. I brought Bridget on to talk about routines. Like I just said, she teaches grades four through six. She has a YouTube channel, a podcast, a membership site. She's in grad school. She has a husband. She has children. I'm sure I am forgetting something. She does so much. So what better person to talk about routines and keeping life organized than somebody who's doing a lot? I want to make sure that you have gotten the guide to setting up your classroom, especially if you are a first-year teacher. This free guide is going to walk you through all the steps you need to set up your classroom. It comes complete with the steps you need, pictures, resources, all the things you need to help you organize your classroom. You can just head to the simplyorganizedteacher.com to get that freebie. You'll also likely see that I have a lot of other freebies and I've even got a prep for the first day of school challenge that you can get by heading to the Simply Organized Teacher. Both of those resources are free for you to help you as you prepare for this new school year. Plus, teachers that are inside of the Organized Teacher membership are going to get access to trainings on starting the school year, especially in light of starting the school year in the middle of a global pandemic, if that is a situation we end up moving forward with towards the start of the 2020 school year. But for now, let's listen in on my conversation with Bridget. Hey, Bridget, and welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Hey, Kelly, thank you so much for having me on. Yes, I am really looking forward to talking to you. I did a survey with my uh, podcast listeners back in January, I guess, and you were requested numerous times. So I'm really honored to have you here. And I know that my listeners are going to be excited to hear from you. That's so cool. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. So will you just start out with giving us a little update or not update, but brief on where you teach, what you teach, just all your background? Yeah, so um, I am currently a multi-age teacher in central Pennsylvania. So I teach a combination of fourth, fifth, and sixth grade learners with another uh, two teacher partners. So we're like a team of three. We have a total of 78 kids, um, and I do see them all day, every day, and for all different subjects. So um, this is my third year as a multi-age teacher going on to my fourth year next year. I taught kindergarten for four years in Alabama. In fact, I am a Southern girl. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And- Me too. No way. Where? Yes. Uh, Cyprus. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I, well, I was born in just like Houston, but I Uh lived in Galveston, Pasadena. And then uh, towards the very end there, I was in like Porter and New Caney and Humble area. So cool. Yeah. So it's just a small world. Yeah. (laughs) So I, um, I went at the age of 20, I moved to Alabama with my parents. They were opening a franchise there. And I, I kind of struggled a lot when I was younger. I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I am definitely one of those people that 
you know, teaching was not on my list. I never wanted to be a teacher. In fact, I think I wanted everything else but a teacher. I think I, I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> I wanted to be an FBI agent. I wanted to be an interior designer, a psychiatrist. I wanted to go into business. I have tried every... I'm a jack of all trades and a master of nothing is what I feel like. <laughs> but I, I really struggled. And uh, when I was 21, I uh, got pregnant with my older son, Ian. He is 13 now. Oh my word. And um, I <laughs> realized, yeah, it's so scary, girl. But I realized very quickly that I needed to get my life in check. Um, when I had him, it was like he was my angel. He was the one that kind of brought me back to life and said, we can't keep doing what we're doing <laughs> or else it's not going to go well for me. Right. So I went back to school. I worked two jobs. I lived with my parents and I got through it and I became a teacher, um, mainly because. I had seen my mom teach in different ways, um, not as like an educational teacher, but more in like food service industry. She was doing a lot of instruction there. Um, and then my cousin Junior, who is teaching third with Mr. G, he is also a teacher and he was going through and getting his teaching degree at that time. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot. And I fell in love with it. And so um, I got a job kindergarten, four years, met my husband in there and actually off of match, which is interesting. Um, and that <laughs> Me was and my husband not my choice. Tinder, so no way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it was not my choice. I was actually something my sister did for me and she's 10 years younger than I am, but <laughs> she realized very quickly that I was never going to leave the house. I yeah. think she was secretly trying to get rid of me. Um, but we decided that Alabama was not going to be the place where we wanted to stay. My family is not from there. In fact, my mom and my sister, they no longer live there. So um, we decided to move to Pennsylvania where he is from. And I got a job as a fourth grade ELA teacher where I only taught ELA for one year. Um, and then we ended up starting the MAC team, which was exciting. What is that? The MAC? So we call it MAC team. It's multi-age classroom. Okay. Okay. But we call it the MAC team. And I'm like really intrigued by that because it seems like there's part of me that thinks how in the world can you manage? Cause you said four through six, right? Right. Yeah. Like that seems like a big age difference, like maturity difference, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it definitely is. Um, but you'll be surprised that when we have a lot of visitors that will come into our district because we are um, almost like the we started the initiative of mass customized learning in my district. So we get a lot of different districts from all over the country that come and visit us to see how we're implementing mass customized learning. And so they come into our room and I, I always challenge them. I'm like, pick out the one that's a fourth grader and pick out the one that's a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. And uh, majority of the times, they can't. <laughs> I mean, other than this like size, like you might have some really giants and some that are not as giant, but you right. really can't tell the difference between them. I imagine it's such a good learning environment for the kids, like to have that role of like being taught and helped by the olders, but then the older kids having that experience of, you know, having to help and explain things and you know, I, I think that could be a really good experience for the kids. Yeah, it is great. Um, we definitely pride ourselves in the way that we build our community and the way that we implement learning. So it's not just about me just giving the instruction to my students, but more so I want my students to be able to provide the instruction to one another. So I challenge them to become the leaders of their own learning and right. for them to go beyond me just always having the answers, but for them to be able to share their answers with one another. And so they have lots of opportunities with you know, providing instruction to class, tutoring one another, and making sure that other kids are understanding what it is that they're supposed to be working on, which is really nice because when I tend to be in a group, like a small group, um, if I have kids that are not quite sure how to do something, they're like, hey, can I just go ask this other kid? Like, you know, I'm going to throw out David. Can I go ask David how to do this? And so they would go walk over and he would show them how to complete a problem or work something out. And it was just, it's a fantastic way to build that community. And it builds a lot of self-esteem and worth and value. Mm -hmm. And the kids just find that they are more confident at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. And that takes like some of, I mean, we know as teachers, there's so much that we have to do. And I feel like and that's something we always want as teachers is to teach our kids how to do things on their own. So that way it kind of takes things off of our plates, you know, when you can say, hey, go ask David. 
Oh yeah. That is something that we really, really pride ourselves on is that we really focus on getting kids to learn how to be problem solvers and how to be thinkers at the end of the day. I say, you know what? I don't have all the information in the world. I wasn't a very good student back in high school and college. Like, I just, I don't know everything. And so I tell my kids that I am not the source of information. The source of information is in the device that you're holding right now. What my job is, is to teach you how to think about the information, teach you how to organize that information and how to find it and determine whether it is good information. So we look at bias and we look at, you know, what are some of the perspectives and objectives that are kind of happening when we're researching and finding out information. So it's not just about me always giving them the answers, but more so I'm helping them navigate, you know, this world that we're living in where it's just constant information that's being thrown at us. Mm -hmm. Right. When you started teaching there, did you seek out to be in a district that innovative or did you just kind of stumble into it? Okay. This is really funny. So I, um, I, we had spring break in Alabama, which is not something we have up here in the north. We had an entire week off down in the south. Okay. And they don't have spring break up there? It's like a weekend and like a day or two. Oh, it's man. not a real spring break. It's not That's disappointing. Not too, I know. So um I remember telling my husband, I'm gonna quit. And in fact, we were just talking about this the other day. The year that I kind of realized it was my fourth year, and I told him, I said, we should move. You're not happy here. I don't really care about being here. Let's move. Let's go live with, you know, up north where your family is. The kids mm-hmm. would love the farm. It'll be great. And so um, I knew that he was never going to take the step. So I think it was around September. I made the very bold move of going to my principal and saying, hey, this is going to be my last year. <laughs> I just and I didn't have a job. I didn't have a cert- teaching certificate in, in Pennsylvania. I had nothing. But I wanted to go ahead and just open that communication just so that she knew. And yeah. so she was like, OK. And I think everybody kind of thought, oh, she's not really leaving. Oh, no. I came home and I was like, hey, I told my principal that it was my last year. So we really need to find another job. <laughs> I like, I've got to start hunting. So spring break came around. I had went through the process, got my teaching certificate and I was going to start looking for jobs. And so we traveled up here for the week and I was going around to every school that I possibly could. But it's interesting because up North, they have it in complete lockdown. Like you can't get through the door without like buzzing yourself in. You couldn't do any of that. So I was like, oh my gosh, everybody, I can't even get through the door. Like, how am I going to do this? And I remember sitting down, my husband and my son were outside. They were on the jacuzzi with my in-laws and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, how am I supposed to find a job if I can't even get in the door? Like, I just need somebody to look at me and just say, you know, let me talk to you for a second. And then I would be able to get my foot in. So I remember I was sitting down and I started emailing principals. It was around eight. 30 at night. And I started sending them links to my blog and to my YouTube channel with the email. Mm -hmm. And at nine o'clock at night, I got an email from my principal saying, I'd love to interview you. Can we meet tomorrow morning? And so I met him in the morning. And I swear to you, I left that interview saying I had the job. I didn't really have it at the moment because I still had to go through my my whole like um, where they had you come in and you had to teach in front of a class. Oh gosh, that like makes me so nervous. It was. I've never had to do that. Nerve wracking. (laughs) It was incredibly nerve wracking. But I like as soon as I was done with it, I was like, I have the job. I'm gonna be fine. It's totally fine. I got it. So at, at that moment, we realized that's that was kind of how I got in. Yeah. So I, I didn't really look for it; just kind of fell in my lap, and it yeah. was just one of those that it, it were all worked out really, really well for me. Well, and you sending that like technology and showing yourself in that aspect, I feel like is going to attract a certain kind of principal yes. that is going to want that in a teacher. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so you are teaching grades four through six. You mentioned you have a YouTube channel, which I think most of us know about. You also have a podcast. You have two kids. You're doing a lot. I have a lot. (laughs) So what I want to talk to you about today are some routines that, because I imagine that a lot of what you do comes down to being structured in your time, both at home and at school to manage it all. So I wanted to see if we could talk a little bit about some morning routines that you go through both like before you get to school and then what are those things you do 
Like when you get to school to prepare for the day and then same thing for the end of the day. What are you doing right before you leave? And then at the end of the day to help you wind down to prepare for the next day, but also to take care of yourself and to take care of your family and all that kind of stuff. Um, so for me, I am a very much a morning person. I like to get up early and I like to kind of have a pretty slow start to the day. I like to have a quiet start to the day. That's very, very important to me. Yeah, um, me if too. my husband wakes up at the same time that I do, I get really Do you get agitated. annoyed? <laughs> I get so annoyed. Like it just drives me. I, he talks and he starts to sing and I'm like, why are you alive right now? I cannot <laughs> handle it. So I, um, I, have, I like to have a slow and quiet start. Like even now, even though we're doing distance learning and I don't technically have to be on my computer until nine o'clock, I'm still waking up at about 545, six o'clock because I like the quiet in the mornings. So I normally will wake up. Um, I will make my coffee. I will kind of go through the slow start of just kind of getting myself awake overall. And the first thing I will always do is I will always look at my schedule and I will always look at the top three things that I want to get done for the day. And those are the big to do's that I have. Um, once I have kind of an idea of the three things that I need to get done, I would look at my schedule. Are there any appointments that I have going on? Are there any like calls, Zoom calls that I might have that I need to make sure that I'm scheduling around? And then those big commitments that I need to be able to take care of. And truly, to be honest, I get to school first thing in the morning and I have, it is so crazy how much I feel as though we are creatures of habit, right? Mm -hmm. I get to school and I literally take the same path every single day. Like I park in the same spot. I pull my bags out of my car the same way. I walk in the same way. I turn my lights on the same way every single day. But it's those little things that I feel like have you ever like when when you've gone to a new place and it feels as though it took you twice as long to get there than when you were driving home? Right. That's yeah. kind of the same idea, right? So when I set up my routines, I set it up and I do the same thing every single day because it's like me coming home. It gets to be so easy to go through the motions of the day that it just happens really, really quick. So were these things that you like, okay, I, I have two questions, actually. First question is, you said your top three of the day. Are those things that you're like deciding the night before? Or are you looking at your to do's for the day and deciding them at the time? Are you writing them down somewhere? What does that look like? So when I say top three things, this is what some people call like your top three or your power list or something mm -hmm. to that extent. And these are the tasks that are not your habitual tasks. They're not the things that you're going to be doing every single week. Okay. Now there are things I do every week. I film every week. I record every week. I, um, uh, plan out YouTube videos every week. I lesson plan every week. This doesn't count as that. Okay? okay. So those pieces are always typically a little bit separate from my my top three things. The top three things are typically those items that just come up that I really need to make sure that I get done. Like maybe my principal sent me an email and said, hey, I really need you to complete this, you know, this form and get it sent back to me by, you know, such date. That would go on my top three. Those are the items that kind of pop up that are not my normal weekly schedule. And those things, I will either plan them the evening before if I'm not already in bed and asleep, because like I said, I'm a morning person, or I will plan them first thing in the morning. It just kind of depends. Okay. And then my next question was going to be, when you come up with these routines, is this something that you like actually took the time to write out or is it something that just comes naturally? And I'm not like, I'm not judging either way because I think there's probably both sets of people listening who just like get it. And this is my routine. But then I think there's also people that have to write it out and plan it out. It's so funny that you say that because I have to be completely honest with you. I had a, a moment where I broke down and it was about a few months ago where I was incredibly overwhelmed with all of the things that I had going on. I mean, I'm in grad school. I've got, you know, yeah, I didn't even mention that. I forgot about that. <laughs> I've got grad school. I've got my kids. You know, I was working full time. I, I'm a team leader on top of that. So that's an extra commitment outside of school that I'm work that I do. I have bridging literacy. I have my YouTube. Like there's so many things that I'm doing. I got very overwhelmed and I just broke down and I could not get myself out of it. So my husband sits me down and he was like, okay, sit down. 
let's make our categories. Let's plan out all of the different areas in your life. And so that's what I did. I on a Google spreadsheet, and I still have it. It's the first thing I see every single time I go into my Google Drive. I planned out all the different areas. I had the lettered classroom. I had bridging literacy. I had Capella. I had teaching on the double, which is what Michelle and I do. Um, and then I wrote down all of the things that I have to do every single week for each one of those. And so I started listing them out. And once I started listing them out, I'm like, okay, well, now I need to figure out when am I going to do this? Because that's the biggest thing. I think we typically will have all of the things that we feel as though we have to do. And we make a huge to-do list like that ever running, you know, yes. I'm, it's going to be the to-do list that it's like three pages long mm-hmm. and it's overwhelming. And you're stressed out and it doesn't help you when you look at that big to-do list. So instead, what I did is I took all of those categories and I started kind of chunking them up and said, okay, well, on Mondays, I'm going to do my readings and take my notes for grad class. That's the only thing I'm going to do because let's be honest, it's it's a lot of work. So that's all I'm going to be able to do that day. And then on Tuesdays, I will work a little bit on bridging literacy and then I will plan out any YouTube videos and it's all writing related. So even though those are two separate businesses, I can still do it at my computer and I'm in a zone of writing and I'm kind of talking about the same content. Right. And so I went through and just kind of started pulling things and I would put them in chunks for each of the days. And I had to kind of guess and say, how long is each of these going to end up taking me? Because if one thing takes me an hour, another one might take me three hours. So that's kind of the where I make the mistake all the time is I'm like, oh, this will take me an hour and a half. And then like four hours later, I'm like, I'm still not done. Yeah. And so I, I had to really kind of plan everything out. And that's the same with my routines. I have my routine planned out. Like one day I sat down and I literally said, what are all the things I need to do in the morning? I turned my lights on. I know it sounds dumb, but I wrote it out. I turned my lights on. I started my coffee. I put on my music because I always have like a soft, quiet music in the Mm -hmm. background. I have my morning message up and I just wrote it all out. And when I wrote it all out, It didn't seem as much, but Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things that I realized very quickly. Why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this in the morning when I should be doing it in the afternoon? And that would take a lot of pressure off of me in the mornings and make my days start a lot smoother because that is very, very important to me. And so I also realized even being at home, well, why am I doing this when I know that my husband, who is my business partner, will help me with this. And he can do that versus me always having to do it because I just can't physically do it all. And I think that's one of the things that so many people believe like, oh my gosh, you do so many things. No, I don't. (laughs) I don't. I have help. Everybody who does all of these great things, they have help. And my husband is my helper. Teachers, are you ready for a closet refresh? The new summer outfit formulas from Allison is officially out for you to purchase, to use, and to create comfortable and stylish summer outfits. I know that in the middle of COVID-19, we are ready to get back into some cute clothes and out of our yoga pants and sweatshirts. Allison of Get Your Pretty On has a ton of outfit formulas that get you all the pieces you need to create your perfect outfit. And what I love about this is she tells you everything you need from the pants, the shirts, the dresses, the accessories, the bags, all of it. Here's what you're gonna get when you purchase one of her formulas. You're gonna get a downloadable PDF with a capsule wardrobe for this season or whatever season or formula it is that you buy for. And in there are going to be all the different items you need for that specific outfit formula to make all of the outfits that she talks about. You're gonna get links to shop for the recommended items online or in store. And she's done all the hard work for you by choosing the items that suit every budget, every body type, it's all there. You're also going to get a beautifully designed printable outfit guide so that you can hang it in your closet for a little bit of inspiration whenever you need some help picking out your outfit for the day. Seriously, y'all, I love these. They are so genius. She tells you exactly what you need to buy and how you can style it to wear it so many different ways. That's another thing I love is that the challenge or the outfit formula that I have gives me all the essentials I need, but then it showed me all the different ways that I could wear those like five different shirts, 15 different ways throughout the whole season. It showed me all the ways I could put the pieces together to create different outfits. So then each day I could leave the house wearing some of the same pieces, but in a completely different way each time. 
Each season, she comes out with an updated guide for that season. Plus, she's got a workwear challenge, a closet staples challenge, and even a challenge for stay-at-home moms, which I know we don't have many of those listening to the podcast, but I guess we are all right now, I guess, kind of like stay-at-home moms, right? Um, But we should look cute doing what we're doing. And so she's got challenges for that. And men don't have any fear. There are also some challenges for you. If you want to get access to your style challenge, then head to the simply slash G Y P O get your pretty on G Y P O to get access to the wardrobe that you want. Plus all the other resources she puts out there to help women feel confident in the clothes that they wear. Let's get back to the show. think what you said about the routines and like writing them out, it seems so like almost like controlling or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like, am I being too picky about this? But I did the same thing. I wrote out my routines and then it became like, now it's like in the morning, I have them memorized. I just say, okay, I make my coffee. I make my lemon water. I make my, you know, whatever is next. I ice roll my face. I'm like really into ice rolling right now. Have you oh, tried that? Great. Yes. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Um, but it's like, now I just go through those things in my head. I don't even have to look at my paper anymore. They just become habit, you know, and, habit, and that's yeah. what you want it to become a habit. And right. it's interesting because I don't know about you, but I know there are so many teachers out there that have incredible anxiety. And it seems like the older that I get, <laughs> the worse my anxiety is getting. Um, I, I have been an anxious mess for probably the last two, three years. Um, And mainly that's a lot to do with my autoimmune disease that I have that just kind of builds and it's completely tearing my body apart. And I have realized that writing something like that down, my routines, my everything that I need to get done in the morning helps me tremendously when I'm having an anxious moment (laughs) in the mornings because I will have moments when I get to school and I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing? I can't believe I'm doing this. And it's just my head getting to me, but being able to pull out that piece of paper and say, oh, here's what I should be doing. I can walk down this list. It really, really helps me to stay organized and not let my day become complete and utter chaos. It takes that decision-making process out of everything. Yes. So do you have any like after school or I mean like end of day and then after school routines that you go through that also you feel like help you transition between the two? So, you know, I was never someone, I'm a very controlling person, but I was never someone that really liked my students to help me at the end of the day. Um, We, this was the first year where our end of the day procedures had changed for us, like as a school, um, we before would leave in waves. So I would line all my kids up and we were wave one, the first wave to leave. And when they called wave wave one after the announcements, we would, I would walk them all the way out to the door. And, um, now we dismiss staggering by buses. And so I was like, man, I have all these kids in here. They're all driving me crazy. So what did I do? I had them all start cleaning. So now I have kids who are like my kitchen helpers. They will wash my dishes. They will set up my Keurig. By the way, teachers, if you don't have your kids setting up your Keurig for the next day, it's fantastic. They like (laughs) put my coffee cup in there. They'll put my cup right underneath. So all I have to do is just And they take so much pride in that, I'm sure. Oh, they love it. I have yeah. some that they're like, can I do this again next week? And of course I let them because they're probably the best ones out of the 25, 26 kids I have. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Please keep doing it for me. You're doing a great job. <laughs> but I had them start doing all of those pieces for me. And I would just be okay that if it did not get done, we would talk about it the next day in morning meeting and say, this didn't happen. So now I want us to think about what's going to happen. It's like a domino effect. What's going to happen now for the remainder of the day? Well, people are going to have issues with their pencils. I don't allow pencil sharpening in my class. It's one of the things that just makes me cringe. So it was really important that at the end of the day, whoever's job it was to have pencils done needed to get it done. Right. And so it was it's a really good learning opportunity for my students and I just let it go and I let them have control of it. And it was so much better for my end of the day routines. But I think the biggest part more than anything when it came to my end of the day is just being organized and tidy so that by the time the kids were gone, I was already packing my bag and able to leave. 
I didn't stay. Like mm-hmm. the kids would be gone at 3.40, 3.45. I was walking out the door. And that's like such a relieving, <clears throat> excuse me, such a relieving feeling to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, I mean, why I created my whole blog and podcast about teaching teachers those routines and those things that are going to help you have that freedom to not feel trapped into staying at school Yeah, super late. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's going to get done. You know, I remember my first few years of teaching, I would stress out so bad saying, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to do this? I don't know how I did it, but guess what? It always got done. done. It was always done. And I came to terms with that. And at this point, it's like, it's going to get done. I'm not going to stress out about it because more than anything, more than anything, my kids just like the opportunity to sit there and have conversations, real conversations one-on-one with one another. And that's the part that's really important to me. So I don't need to have, you know, the big fancy, you know, really cute materials or, you know, the epic lesson. Like that's not what I go for. Um, It's just not my teaching style. I'm more of the realistic. I'm just trying to build you to be a good citizen at the end of the day type teacher. Right. Right. And yeah, I think that that gives a lot of freedom to teachers because, we are in the Instagram Pinterest world where you can get on and see all these great things that our teachers are doing and feel that that is where you need to be also. But that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother podcast. Okay. So you told me when you filled out the form um, for us to have this conversation that you are really passionate about bridging reading and writing and that you have the bridging literacy um, thing that you do, which did you name it bridging literacy because of your name? No. Was that intentional? I did did not. In fact, I had sent that to my cousin Juan and I call him junior. So if that happens, I'm sorry. But (laughs) I sent it to my cousin and he was like, I was like, what do you think of the name? And he was like, whoa, bridging Bridget. I was like, oh, dang it. I didn't even realize (laughs) I did that. (laughs) That was the first thing I I thought when I read it. I was like, hmm. So tell us about that. Yeah. So um, I am in a district where we pride ourselves in providing personalized learning to our students. So I look at each child individually and I say, what specifically do you need? And in a world where everything is personalized, um, I realized very quickly that it's much easier to personalize math than it is to personalize ELA. In fact, it's incredibly hard to personalize ELA because when I started teaching there, I still, I I have no whole group. I do not teach whole group at all during the day. I am in constant small group mode, which I love. Like I love being in small groups all day long. So I left that piece and I'm like, okay, I'm customizing. I'm personalizing the experience of my kids in reading because I'm doing only small groups. Makes sense, right? Right. Well, when writing time came, I had 40 minutes. And in that 40 minutes, guess what I was doing? I was teaching whole group. (laughs) Well, I was doing like an entire whole group. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so I can personalize reading, but I'm not able to figure out how to do that in writing. And so we started the multi-age program at my school, myself, um, my teacher who passed away. And then we had another teacher at the time who ended up moving. But uh, when we started the program, we envisioned it to be a truly personalized experience because we realized that, you know, you might have a sixth grader sitting in front of you. However, that sixth grader might still be working on second or third grade skills. Mm -hmm. I can't expect a sixth grader who is working on second and third grade skills because that's where they are developmentally, right? So either there's some sort of IEP that's in place. um, They may have had some sort of a trauma, um, whatever it may be, they are not able to analyze or synthesize the information that sixth graders would typically be able to do, right? We're looking at an average learner, but not all of our students are average, (laughs) right? Right. It's on that bell curve. So we said, well, why don't we come together, like bring all three of us together. We'll have a team, which is our multi-age team, and we will truly try to personalize the experience. So even though I had um, my teacher who was, she was a phenomenal sixth grade teacher, learned so much from her, but I was really strong in my uh, um, kindergarten, first, second, third grade. 
because that's what I had been teaching for so many years. And so I built off of my strengths on that piece. She really kind of pulled her strengths in sixth grade, and we were able to truly customize and provide the best learning experience for our students. We kept kind of thinking about why is it that we can't personalize? Why can't we figure this out on how to truly personalize reading and writing? Because it wasn't working for us. And so we had gone to a bunch of different conferences. We had done a ton of things. And I'm speaking about Kim, who is my teacher friend who passed away. And um, the year that she got sick, um, I almost like had an epiphany. Like it was just one of those moments I'm sitting in my room and I'm like, that's it. That is it. I need to combine it. And the entire time when I was thinking about combining both reading and writing, which it makes sense. It's how the standards are written. It's the way it should be. Um, I pulled myself back into kindergarten. And when I taught kindergarten, I realized with I had a lot of ELs, um, a lot of Spanish speaking and Vietnamese students. And uh, they really struggled when I would read different books all day long, right? Because they're still trying to process the information from the first book. So if I read one book in the morning, one book for math, one book for writing, it's like, wait, which book am I supposed to be thinking of? So what I did was I cut that down and I only had one book that I would read and I would make connections all day long to that book. So I really kind of tied it all together for them. And that allowed them to really understand. And it's just good teaching practices, no matter if it's for ELs or not. Like it's good teaching practices. Yeah. So I remember being a my first year as the fourth grade teacher. And I was I was teaching reading or writing. And I said, guys, guess what? And they're like, what? I was like, I just realized that everything that I'm teaching you right now is exactly what I taught you in reading. Like it was just one of those moments like, duh, like this is the exact same thing. So with all of those pieces combined, I was like, I have to figure out a way to be able to combine the two. There has to be a way to just pull it into one small group instead of having it into two separate Mm-hmm. Because that's another issue that I think so many upper elementary teachers have is the time. We are so <laughs> stuck in our like hour or hour and 20 minute block. And that's all we get. We don't get any more than that. And so I was like, how can I make this work to where I can do small groups for writing, small groups for reading? Because that's what I needed. I needed small groups for writing, but I didn't have the time for it. So what I did is I came up with a method and it all it does is it takes really good teaching practices and it kind of combines them. It meshes them into one small group. So instead of me saying, okay, I'm going to have my reading group. And then after this, we're going to have writing class. We don't, we call it a literacy studio. It's a studio. It's like a studio apartment. It's an all in one type situation. And so I will focus on a specific reading skill and that reading skill will then be applied to their writing. So we really focus on units. So if I'm talking about um, characters, we're going to do a creative narrative. And in that creative narrative, we're really going to focus on building our characters and really understanding how can we um, build our characters in our writing. Because if we're reading about characters and we're analyzing how those how those authors are building their characters in their stories, then we should be able to then replicate that into our own stories. And so kids are starting to see the connections. It takes the whole, wait, here's my reading time, here's my writing time, and it just puts it into one. And so kids start to see how reading truly does help you to become a better writer. So if I have a setting organizer, And we analyze the setting that's happening in the text, like to build up the mood, that exact same graphic organizer that I use to help them analyze setting in their reading, we're using that to help craft their own writing for their stories. And so it's a really nice method. It's a very simple and easy. And it's so simple that you're like, wait, how does this actually work? Yeah, it's so unbelievably simple that a lot of teachers are like, I, I can't believe I didn't get this in the beginning. But it's not our fault. To be honest, I'm, it's going to be state testing fault because because of state testing, we have been forced to separate the two and really hyper focus on both of them. When the standards were never written that way in the first place, if you go look at all of the standards for fourth, fifth and sixth grade, actually all standards for all grade levels, 
it matches. Think about a kindergartner who is just learning to read. How do they read? A cat, a dog, a bird, the ship, whatever it may be. Well, when they write, how are they going to write? It's the exact, exact same, way. same way. So what's happening is that when they get to like second and third grade, we start to see that slowly, that gap starts to get bigger and bigger in reading and writing, where they're not starting to do the exact same thing. That they're not writing the exact same way that they were reading because the focus is so heavy on reading that we forget yeah. about our writing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I feel like writing was always a struggle for me. And I think one of the last interviews I did, not a last interview, it was like episode 20. And I think you're going to be episode like 73 or something like that. So I mean, it was a long time ago, but it was one of the last episodes I did right before I stepped out of the classroom. And it was with my friend Julie, and we talked about writing. And I was like, okay, writing any whenever I come back into the classroom, like writing is going to be what I'm going to focus on, because it was something that I just neglected as a second grade teacher, like reading is more important. And then those fourth grade, I don't know what it's like in Pennsylvania, but in Texas, fourth grade is when we test writing. And so it's like those fourth grade teachers are scrambling, trying to teach kids how to write because they haven't been doing it right the past few years. And it's interesting because we talk a lot about higher level thinking. And we want our kids to think higher level, right? We want to go into that that higher level of Bloom's taxonomy where they're creating and synthesizing and applying and all of those pieces. Well, when you think about it, reading is the learning piece. It's building that lower level, that knowledge, Mm -hmm. that recall. They're kind of identifying it. They're figuring those pieces out. Well, once they're able to identify it, if I say identify you know, character traits of, you know, a character who was selfish, you know, try to find those characteristics in your stories. Well, then they should very easily, their higher level thinking, that skill that comes next is that they are going to take it beyond and start applying it into their writing. If they can apply character traits into their writing, I guarantee you they understand that skill. They get it. This sounds really manageable. Like, it sounds like, okay, take what you're teaching and reading tomorrow. I mean, I guess nobody's really teaching and reading tomorrow because, you know, We're life, all looks a little bit, <laughs> life looks a little bit different right now. But just take that and apply it to the writing setting. Is that Correct. essentially... That is That is essentially it. And I have really worked over the past year. Well, it's been more than that. I would say about two years now in developing units that make sense because it's not, and I hear so many times from so many teachers, bless their hearts, if they have a district like like this, that say, you know what, we're just going to teach the standards in order. So one week you're going to teach these standards, or this is even worse you're going to be teaching literature and reading and you're going to be writing informational and writing. Why? Makes no sense. (laughs) No sense at all. So what I have done is I've gone through and I've really worked to learn the standards, learn understanding common core. Um, And I have created units, which these are all free on my website. So if you go to like the letteredclassroom.com and then you click on bridging literacy, you can grab the free cheat sheet there. Um, and each of these units, it has the writing comes first. So that's kind of what I always preach to teachers. Writing should come first. And so you're going to think of writing in mind, in first in mind. So let's say I have my personal narrative. And with that personal narrative, you're going to have four reading skills that you're going to teach that fits perfectly with it. That is setting mood, tone, that's major and minor characters, all of those pieces questioning, um, like your who, what, when, there, why, all of those pieces build really nicely in a personal narrative story. So the reading and the writing are directly matched. Um, And those are all absolutely for free, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Yeah, I just pulled it up right now. It's super easy. Just right there on the top. Go grab it. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's fourth through sixth grade, yes? Fourth through sixth grade. We are in the process right now of working on a second through third grade level as well. Okay. So what would you say to a lower elementary teacher that wants to try this? Is still following the same kind of process that you just talked about? I would say that you have it a lot easier than you think (laughs) because 
at that age, they are really, truly writing the way that they are reading. So I, when I taught in kindergarten, I did all of my reading and writing in small group. Um, anything that I did that was mini lesson wise was quick. Why? Because I knew that one of my friends that was sitting to the right of me, he wasn't picking it up as well as another friend that was sitting to the left of me. And so I didn't want my my main teaching, my focus to be there. I wanted it to be quick. I wanted it to be interactive. I wanted it to be fun. So I did a lot of games for our mini lessons. And that's kind of how I built that piece. So all of my instruction, my hardcore instruction happened at my small group table. And when that happened, my reading and my writing were all there at small group. So it can absolutely happen. You can make it work. And I think you have it a lot easier because kids don't really know otherwise. You know, they are truly going to read right the same way that they read, which makes it a lot easier for you. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with everybody and creating that free resource because I know that, I mean, I haven't even looked at it, but I can imagine that it was not an easy or um, quick task to work through. Yeah, it's not. And it's so crazy how... Common Core, like as much as so many people I think are against it, I really like it. I think it's just misunderstood. And I think we are not given the proper professional development as teachers from our districts to understand it because they are so big and so broad that I think we all interpret it in our own way. And so it's important for us to really dig deep into those standards and understand them and understand well, what is this supposed to look like when I'm teaching it to a group of students? And so I think when you really start looking at combining reading and writing the way that I have in those units, it all starts to make sense. Your your whole end goal, the big picture at the end of it, what your writing should look like when you really look at your reading, you're like, oh, I get it now. And now I know what writing should look like at this age. Yeah. You mentioned Common Core, and that makes me think I'm reading this book right now Right now called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. And oh. it's about politics in the U.S. So I would highly recommend anybody that wants to have any kind of political conversations with ones you love to check it out. But they were talking about, um, I don't even remember what the point is that they were making, but they basically said that this um, surveying agency went out and said, what do you think about Common Core? And people were like, I hate it. It sucks. It's terrible. You know, really bad ratings on Common Core. But then they asked the question again and phrased it. um, How do you feel about like equal standards or similar standards across the country for students? And the ratings were much higher. And it was just that like little wording of Common Core versus not Common Core that people felt more. Yeah. And it all has to do with not understanding, right? We don't like what we don't understand. And so we kind of shy away from it. We hesitate from it. And so by really understanding and by teachers getting the professional development that they need to understand Common Core, I think that's the most important above everything else. It's so much easier to get. You get it. You understand what you should be doing. And I think these units really do help teachers in, in understanding what it is that they're supposed to be teaching. Well, thank you for taking the time to create that. Thank you for sharing it with people. Will you just wrap up and tell us where we can find you in all the different places? Oh, my word. All of the different places. Um, Or maybe the most localized place. (laughs) Yeah. um, I definitely think that if you head to theletteredclassroom.com, you're going to see that I have live events that I do on YouTube there. Um, I am located on YouTube for The Lettered Classroom. I'm on Instagram mainly, um, trying to be on Facebook a little bit more. I struggle with Facebook, but I am definitely trying, guys. I'm trying. So this has been fun. I really, really enjoyed doing this. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Wasn't that conversation awesome? I loved Bridget from the moment she said hi to me when we got on Zoom. She is so bubbly and friendly and real. I think that's why you all requested her. If you hadn't heard of Bridget or the Lettered Classroom before today, then I'm so happy that I got to introduce you to her. And if you're a follower of Bridget who ended up here today, thank you for coming and listening. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope that you'll join the Simply Teach community by following me on Instagram, joining our Facebook group, listening to the podcast. Bridget and I talked about so much during the conversation, but I wanted to point out a few things that she mentioned. 
First, she talked about that endless to-do list. You know, the one you have that you add on to every single day, but it seems like nothing ever comes off of it, or it just keeps getting longer and never shorter. I have a whole workshop on creating intentional to-do lists for teachers, and you can get it by heading to the simplyorganizedteacher.com slash to-do-workshop. I know that's confusing. I always just say, go to my website in the search bar on the top and just type in whatever you're looking for. It's going to come up way easier. Heloise, she is an Instagram follower and a gal who pops into my inboxes every now and then. And she told me that she started using the theming of days that I've talked about in that course and how helpful she's finding it. So get tips like that and so much more when you join in on the to-do list workshop and you get some to-do list templates. It's one of the top downloaded things. And I love it because I love creating intentional to-do lists so I can make the most amount of my I can make the most of the limited time that I have working so that I can spend more time doing the things that I love. Okay, secondly, Bridget mentioned having her students help out in the afternoon, and I'm pretty sure I heard angels coming down from the heavens when she said that because I believe in that so much. I have a whole blog post on classroom jobs. I've got a freebie download on a couple classroom jobs that you can use in your classroom. Uh, That blog post talks about how to use them as well as tells you some different student routines that you can have in place, both which are going to help you stay more organized. Again, those are going to be linked in today's show notes. And then lastly, she talked about small group teaching. Bridget has a ton of resources about that on her YouTube channel. Remember, she's got the literacy things that you can access on this week's show notes. I'm going to link her YouTube channel there. I will be the first to admit that when it comes to small group teaching, I am not that helpful when it comes to what to do in the actual small group teaching lesson. That's just not my gifting, but I can help you organize your small group teaching, which I think is just as important as having good quality lessons as having those materials organized. And that really is half the battle. So in episode 72, I laid it all out for you. As always, all these links, all the links Bridget mentioned are going to be in the show notes for today's episode. And you can get that by heading to the simplyorganizedteacher.com slash teacher dash routines. Guys, if you do one thing after listening to this episode, here's what I want for you. I hope that you will choose one time of your day that feels really hectic and sit down and map out your routine for this time of the day. If you are a student in the Working From Home Teacher's Edition course, then you have a training in there about how to do this step-by-step. So be sure to check that out. And if you aren't a student, you can just head to the simplyorganizedteacher.com and get the online teaching course and get access to it. It's free. All right, you guys, that is it for this week. If you have a minute to leave a rating and review, then please do so. That really helps teachers find the podcast. Y'all have a great rest of your week, and I will see you back here next week to talk about how you can continue to grow as an educator. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Simply Teach. Remember all the show notes, links to things we talked about, and access to the Simply Organized Teacher email list is all over my website, thesimplyorganizedteacher.com. Also, you can find me on Instagram at thesimplyorganizedteacher. Guys, I want to be your social media friend. I want to interact with you, so come find me. The fun music you're listening to, that's provided by hooksounds.com.